0: Welcome to The Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngarziwala and Obehi Alifoje. Let's get this rebellion started. On today's episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion, we are joined by the wonderful Catherine Osaibovo. Catherine is a partner within the HR practice at Page Executive UK and the firm's UK DEI ambassador. She specializes in HR leadership and board level appointments across London, and also manages senior diversity, equity and inclusion mandates nationally. Her entire career has been within recruitment, over 20 years experience of which she has focused on HR for the past 16. She has worked across all sectors, ranging from FTSE 100 firms to boutique PE houses, placing... Chief People Officers, Directors of Recruitment, through to Global Heads of DE and I. Her passion lies in providing clients diversity of candidates that represent the world around us and their customer base. She holds inclusion leaders networking events around topics such as allyship, transgender, intersectionality and change of business culture. She's also one of the leaders of Page Group's Unity Group and sits on the ESG team. In this episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion, I talk to Catherine about executive leadership and mental health. And with her background and her experience, she's the perfect person to talk to us about the intersection between diversity, leadership and mental well-being. Let's dive in. Catherine, thank you for joining us on The Wellbeing Rebellion today. How are you? I am very well. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure. It really is. Um, Now, the first question that I always like asking people, just to get a sense of what your experience is with mental health and well-being, is whether you've experienced it for yourself, any mental health struggles, or in someone close
1: to you. Yeah, that's really, it's really interesting. Do you know what, it just made me realise with you asking me that no one's actually ever asked me that question. Never. No. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fascinating. Um, Early in my career, I think I must have been early or mid-20s. So I'd graduated when I was 21 and I was in recruitment. So I joined recruitment from graduating at the age of 21. I'll never forget this time where I was living by myself and in sales, obviously recruitment's highly, you know, highly driven, highly competitive. And I went to the doctors because I thought I had tonsillitis. And the doctor asked me a few questions and signed me off work, telling me that I had depression and wanted me to take a week off. Now, the minute he said that, I obviously burst into tears (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I argued fiercely, saying absolutely wrong. I need to get back into work. My very first thought was, well, I have to go to work how can I take a week off? Um, So leading up to that, and the reason why it's a complete shock, because looking back now as a more sort of fully grown adult, I was exhausted, always lying on the sofa, work was everything. Uh, Everything was very intense. And I was very run down. But I thought I was run down just because I wasn't sleeping enough. So going to the doctor and the doctor actually not telling him, not giving me tablets or antibiotics, but telling me I had to be signed off and not even to go into the office. He literally said, I'm signing you off now. You have Mm. to call your boss and not go in. And I've got Mm. to say, that was a real turning point, even though it's a very early stage in my career, because I was so completely dumbfounded by that response. (laughs) I had no... I wasn't equipped for that. I didn't know anything about it. To me, people who were depressed were people that, you know, couldn't function. You know, people that were sad every day. Um, And I wasn't a sad person. I was exhausted, but I wasn't sad. So that was a real eye, eye opener. And ever since then, I try and keep myself in check to the point that one a very simple thing that I do now is every three months, I take a week off for my annual leave religiously to actually get on top of feeling exhausted from work
0: that's so candid thank you for sharing it because it I mean it just brought up a lot of things for me um for those who who haven't been listening to the well-being rebellion and don't know my story um where have you been but you know (laughs) I, I myself had my own experience and actually if I look back honestly I've had many experiences but the the major burnout experience which was very similar to yours so I I didn't think I was depressed I just thought I was <laughs> I, I just thought I was crap mm. at life. Um and then the doctor when the doctor told me you've got work related stress, anxiety and depression, I didn't want to believe it. Mm. And I'm wondering, Catherine, whether it's a cultural thing, um, because you know, for us, um, in my family, my family's Nigerian, it, it, depression isn't wasn't a thing ever talked about, and definitely it was Oyibo kind of, which means um, a foreign or white person. Uh, kind of condition it's, mm. it's a privileged condition it's not something that real working people have <laughs> so I, I don't know was was yours anything cultural or was it um just you you were just blindsided by the fact that you were depressed so early on in your career
1: it wasn't cultural because even though I'm half Nigerian so I was born in Nigeria but came over when I was a baby I, I've always been raised by my white English mother Mm. So, definitely not cultural. It almost could be, I I don't know whether or not class is the right thing, working class. Mm. I was raised by my white English mother, so I'm half Nigerian, came over here when I was a baby, but I think it's more being working class. Mm. Um, So, she was a single mother for a period of time, and her approach to motherhood was and is very functional. Um, uh, so there wasn't any allowances really. Mm. She wasn't a strict mother, but just wasn't any allowances for fluff. You know, if I was, yeah. if I felt unwell, she would literally need to see blood, gl- you know, gushing out of my arteries for me to get a day off school. Mm. Um, so she had a very sort of matter of fact approach. So to me, being depressed, it wasn't very. you don't don't have time for that Um, and also as well actually do you know what thinking about it now um what's probably relevant is that my mum actually has a history of depression um so did you know this
0: when um, when you were younger
1: I did I did yes so she's made it quite clear not in sort of an overbearing way, but she's always had a history of depression. She's been on antidepressant tablets. And even when she was carrying me and my sister. Mm. um, But again, it was quite separate. That was was mum. You know, mum, if mum had a stressful day, she'd just go and have a lie down upstairs. But she was never an angry Mm -hmm. or anything like that. It was just, she'd go into herself. So that was her mechanism. So Mm -hmm. whether or not I got that from her, I don't know. But the work ethic is... Again, I don't know whether or not it's a cultural or maybe a working class thing, but you just, you have to always work. You know, mm. you're supporting yourself financially. I was a young lady, wanted to prove myself from my parents that I could survive in Manchester away from London. So you just keep on working. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's uh, feeling like that when you, you, you realise you're not uh, invincible is always um, eye opening.
0: It's quite confronting, isn't it? Because we is. just have uh, such a superhero complex sometimes that we just yeah. think we can do
1: everything. And
0: you were quite young. So you were about 20. Mid 20s, I'd probably say. Maybe
1: even 23, 24, because okay. I left Manchester at 25. So I probably was early 20s. Um, but it, I think it's a cacophony of things. I think it's a, a you know, I'm the older sibling, my mum's background, um, you know, she was single, then she married. And you know, we we didn't have the best stepfather upbringing, so it's probably a whole mixture of me wanting to be a really strong, independent woman.
0: Mm-hmm. But back then, I'm not casting aspersions on your age, Catherine. You do understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that back then, people didn't talk about mental health, no. nearly as much as they do now. I mean, it just wasn't it wasn't mentioned so. It really must have come as a surprise that your physical ailments had nothing to do with a
1: disease. It had everything to do with your mind. Abs- yeah, absolutely. But even then, I remember the doctor not really explaining it. How do you so, Just He just went, you're depressed. There wasn't any, this is how you got here, or this is what it is. You know, I just thought that I was, I mean, probably even like at that early age thinking, oh, Good grief, I've lost my marbles, you know you just don't understand what the definition is mm. um, and that made it really hard, I think, for me even to understand when I was told my boss I can't even remember telling my boss to be honest it, it it was talking about not talking about age, but it was a long time ago, yeah, um but not but I've never really shared that with anyone, not that I've been avoiding it, but again, you just store that in your background and then you just carry on,
0: mm that's interesting to reflect because you then as a result started to take responsibility for looking after your own well-being you are meticulous about taking time off mm. just to decompress mm. and uh, recruitment is a very very high pressure high sales um environment i know i married one of you lot <laughs> <laughs> i know exactly what it's like yeah. um But you still take that time off to this day. Do you notice a difference then in how mental health and um, taking care of your mental wellbeing has been received in your career?
1: When you say it's been received, I haven't really shared the reasons why I do things like take religiously take a holiday every quarter.
0: Mm. No, but I mean more like in what you see around the company. Do you you see other people, for instance, happy to admit, oh, I need some mental health time or uh, whatever the cool kids say
1: these days? (laughs) Um. (laughs) Um, Well, A, I don't hang out with any cool kids anymore. Oh, um... (laughs) you are a
0: cool kid.
1: Um, But no, I've got to say... um, unfortunately that the conversation when people talk about it is usually because i'm in a conversation with someone specifically about this topic or i actually raise it Mm. i hate to say it is still not a thing that is openly discussed and i don't at all openly hear anyone saying i'm going to log off early today because of my mental health uh it's not a, and, and, and I'm saying this within the caveat that I've only ever worked in a sales environment. Mm-hmm. So you've got to think that everyone is coming at it from the same point of view as me and may not have had my experiences. And then obviously you've got different level, levels of ego, etc. It's, I mean, the one thing that our company has done is that they've given everyone um, a half day mental health day each year. So we can openly say to each other, I am taking this half day off for that mental health day but whether or not even people at that time share a journey they've been on not really Mm. I've got to say but but one thing but on the flip side I've got to say that if or when I do mention it to people everyone's got a story yeah yeah it's really telling isn't it it's still people still really keep it close to their chest even though it is literally the universal subject that people can all get involved in (laughs) irrelevant of your class or your cultural backgrounds Mm. but but there's still a stigma about it from what I see
0: I I think you're right I I work with a number of different organizations different kinds different cultures different countries even and that's the one universal thing is that even though we all know quote unquote it's okay not to be okay Mm. What we mean is it's okay for you not to be okay, but for me, I've got to pretend to be okay. And yeah, I, it's there's a long way to go before we really crack this nut of um the stigma around talking and being open about your mental health. It's such it's been such a pervasive part of our culture in a negative term. Mm. Even the words crazy, mad, all of that kind of stuff, we, mm-hmm. we still, ju- we just use it. I use it all the time. And mm-hmm. it, it just perpetuates this, no, 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 nobody, nobody can know about my issues, even though I'll be very understanding about yours. Yeah. And and then that brings me on to um, another topic that touches lightly on this, which is about, I mean, you're so active Um when it comes to the leadership space, obviously that's, that's the area that you, you work in, mm-hmm. um, but also the diversity, equity and inclusion space. Um, uh, is, do you see an intersection between them, between executive leadership, mental health and, and diversity and inclusion?
1: <sighs> oh, that's a question. It's a big question. It is a very, very big question. Um, absolutely. Now, why do I say absolutely? Um, I mean, there's so so many multiple layers, it's unbelievable in, that, in this question. Mm. Because you've got the sort of, you've got the gender approach, don't you? The fact that a lot more women seem to talk more about it. That, Do you find I, that to be true, even in your
0: organisation?
1: Do you find that to be true? Absolutely, absolutely. But yes, I know it's. But yet, I know it doesn't represent the truth of what's actually behind it. I just think women are more comfortable in talking about mm. about any mental health struggles because women, I find, can bond almost. You know, if someone shares something. Whether it's right or wrong, women quite often will have the empathy and go. Oh, yes, I understand. And then suddenly they talk about something else to make the other person feel mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I send information around my immediate team about, so only a couple of days ago, I sent something around about Vitality. So they are our um, uh, company that we use, um, mm-hmm. and they're doing a wellness um, wellness sessions. I've had a few men respond to me from the email going absolutely wonderful sessions. Thanks. I'm going to sign up for them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is great. Which is absolutely which is absolutely great. So I think men and women very generally will have a different approach to comfort in being open. Um, whether or not obviously you've got about race and ethnicity, that's another thing as well. It's a difficult one. I mean, it's interesting, with me being of mixed heritage, being, you know, Nigerian father, English mother, I see a lot of situations from both sides simul- simultaneously. Um, and I think overriding a lot of diversity challenges is social class. So if it comes to intersectionality of, say, if we're talking mental health, Mm -hmm. I don't know whether or not is there something about people who are, you know, more educated. Does that mean that maybe you're more comfortable at articulating things and separating it from your output? I don't know. But there's there's. I think there's there's a lot to be looked at, the different types of background that you've come from and whether you accept it in yourself or not, whether or not you see it as a failure or just something that is happening because of your job. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's fundamental about lots of questions, isn't it, about people's identity Mm. is wrapped up in, you know, you hear about men who find it really a, a struggle to retire because work is so much of their definition of themselves more than women. So I think the whole sort of mental health thing, whether or not there's a certain certain demographics that are more prone to feeling that's their identity rather than this is just a part rather than the whole of them. So that's a very vague answer of me saying I think there's multiple sort of intersectionalities, but I don't quite know how how many.
0: <laughs> I think um that that question about whether there are certain demographic groups who are better able to discern the difference between the illness and themselves uh-huh. is is interesting, but in my experience not doesn't play out in practice. Because um I I know a lot of the people we work with, they do cover all social spectrums, but when you are ill, like I was, mm. you're not well enough to discern that it's, it's an illness, or you feel, even if you do know it's an illness, that you shall never recover. Mm. So it's very difficult for you to say, well with with my educational background and intellectual ability, I understand that this is not me. I am not my depression mm. it it's It just it boils down very much to, well, I'm still a human, and this is what my experience is, and it sucks. And can I get through it?
1: I don't know.: Yeah, you're right, actually. I'm probably talking more about the stages rather than actually being burnt out. That probably the yeah. sort of st- stress levels where and I, I and I am being very general I suppose if I think about the types of people I work with it's a certain type of profile you know I work in executive search in London that is going to be a certain type of person that I come across both clients and colleagues
0: which brings us neatly to the next question I had for you actually ah, it's almost wonderful. like it's like you read the script <laughs> <laughs> um what I was going to ask you is in the recruitment and search um, uh, profession. Are you finding that more and more candidates are demanding this kind of investment in employee wellbeing, this emphasis on having a, a positive workplace culture mm. um, as a as a non-negotiable for when they're starting or not? Is that is that a myth or is
1: it actual fact? God, these questions are good. Yeah. Um... Mm. It's a challenging I uh, mm. uh, okay. Definitely asking these questions 3 years ago I never had these questions like once. Mm. Um 3 years ago speaking to candidates for example looking for work they asked about salaries, pension, job titles, maybe maybe location of the job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now within a you know a quick 3 year period it is what is my manager like? What's the culture of the organisation? What direction is the company going in? What do they like to work with? Um, a lot about diversity and inclusion. Um, a lot about their social awareness, you know, CSR policies, etc.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, not so much. Not direct questions about mental health and well-being. I suppose whether or not that coincides with. Work-life balance, which I suppose obviously is the the bigger picture of that. There are a lot of people who it's non-negotiable coming into the office five days a week, even four days a week, because they've found themselves in the last three years that they need to spend more time with their family. Mm -hmm. They want to spend less time traveling. And that all is indicative to obviously having a better mental health and better well-being. But people don't necessarily phrase it as that. They may say, I just want to spend more time with my family or uh you know I want to spend less time traveling so it's more sort of outputs rather than that sort of health aspect is comes up in the conversation if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. Mm. It's and it's good to to hear um from the horse's mouth. I wanted to say that without causing you any offense. I don't know. How to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely untaken. <none> <laughs> yeah, but it's great to hear that that's actually playing out. And that people are starting to look at life as uh, something that's more holistic than just uh, work and a little bit of home. But it's it's how can I live a happier life and therefore how is work going to fit into that as opposed to how am I going to fit my life into my work?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'll get things like, you know, dogs. I can't because I have a dog, um, mm. you know, really practical things. Even at
0: exec levels?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, because what will happen is that they won't obviously talk about the dog, but at the exec level, they'll be like, I can't do more than two or three days. It's only when you ask them why, mm. then the dog is up there with the kid <laughs> for some people. <laughs> um, yeah. But going back to your other question, I was just thinking what I am seeing a lot of is people leaving jobs because of mental health and well-being
0: oh without breaking confidences could you give
1: us examples um to be honest there's probably quite a number of people both male and female senior hr leaders i've spoken to probably a lot more in the chief people officer space so that real number one where yeah you've you've got the potentially shareholders you've got the chief exec you know you've got the real sort of might of you know the the board on your shoulders. I, I I get a fair amount of people, more women than men, I have to say, saying I've been here for X of a number of years. I'm exhausted. I can't do it anymore. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not being heard. I've got to move on. Mm-hmm. So when you had the period of the Great Resignation, which I think was what last year, maybe the half mm-hmm. end of the year before, there was a lot of uh, I say a lot, but you know. A, a decent amount of people who are quitting jobs without jobs to go to because of that. People don't quit jobs because they're just a bit bored. They quit jobs because it's, it's untenable. Mm. Um, and it could either be the relationship, direct relationship with the chief exec, or it could just generally be, I'm doing a job that is not appreciated, but I can't see any way I'm actually adding value. So you're const- So they're constantly giving. They're giving everything. A lot of people in that you know, HRD, chief people officer space, absolutely work absolutely crazy hours because they get so many people, they get the entire teams and leaders coming at them with questions, queries. So there's a lot of pressures from above and below. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have the support themselves, again, talking about what you've just said, if they don't recognise it, or if they maybe don't actually have the, the actual support mechanisms, a lot of them are getting really burnt out. But they don't use the words burnt out they'll, they'll refer to it more about I've come to the end of the road with my role They'll sort right. of phrase it in a different way I can't yeah. do any more of my job only when you talk to them in more depth then it also they also bring to the fore you know I'm exhausted I'm working you know 80 to 100 hours a week I'm traveling international you know I'm having to fire people I'm having to you know deal with the changing board you know it's just a number of different things so how can
0: companies do more to to combat this because obviously it's so expensive if you have all that expertise and they are there's a high degree of churn what's what's the best advice you would give to CEOs fellow CPOs who are um, looking at, at how they manage their resources so that they can have a longer, more productive career, what would you say?
1: Do you know what? That's a really difficult question to answer because it's, it's, you can't sort of, I don't think you can place it at one spot. Mm. I think it's such a sort of, it's such a sort of circle of life, isn't it? Because on one hand, I want to say to the actual individual, You know it's 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 difficult one because as you and i've already said we got to a point we didn't recognize it in ourselves yeah but it is a responsibility thing for ourselves as well as the companies you know i can't I, i can't in all good faith though say it's just purely on the company agreed um because you know we have to take you know, responsibility for knowing the signs ourselves, especially when you're in a leadership role as well, because if you don't recognise the signs then how can you be the right leader for your team? So there has to be a level of understanding of what mental health issues look like. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to the definition. You know, people talk very comfortably about resilience, but stress and burnout is just seen as like failures. I think when looking at a lot of change that we've seen within diversity, mental health, well-being, I think a lot of it is when you see senior people who share their own journeys, when you almost normalise it, whether that's a good good or bad thing. But I think that if people knew that senior leaders were like the rest of us, I think then that people would recognise signs. But I think people need to check in with each other. And I hate to say this because I absolutely love working from home, (laughs) but I do think that working from home makes it easy for people to not be seen. And if leaders aren't necessarily catching up with their team on a regular basis, I can see how people can fall through the gap. Mm. Um, But also within yourself, it's the pressures of work, isn't it? I mean, I suppose, I mean, is this a reason why people are really liking the idea of a four-day week? I, 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 it might be, but I don't think a four day week will
0: provide the solutions that everybody thinks it will.
1: No, I know, because people just like to have a black and white answer, don't they? They think that that can just, that puts clarity. I, I this is such a fundamentally deep subject, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, uh, we haven't even right. got, you know, physical health. When people <laughs> talking about weight and exercise, we haven't got that, and that's uh, visible. So, yeah. mental health, I mean, we, <laughs>
0: But you touched on some really key things whether you know it it's again like you were prompted and I swear <laughs> he was not people but you said some really brilliant stuff because you talked about um recognizing the signs you so an, an individual being um uh, responsible for their own mental health and well-being mm-hmm. that's one mm-hmm. we we always talk about that but because you are unable often to see um, that you are unwell. Mm. You need to, you as an organization, you need to be responsible for training people so they see the signs constantly. Yeah. And yes, that might involve some um, self, self-led, computer-based training, but most of the time it's from talking, training in person, something engaging and exciting so you've just got to keep that discussion about mental health mental well-being being significant and important and here's what to look out for you've got to keep it alive in your com- in your company second thing you mentioned that was great was about leaders and leaders themselves being able to identify the signs and then being able to normalize the conversation about it again they can't just magically one day they get the promotion know how to do that which is why at Aurora we're always talking about you have to empower them and that's the third tenant of the of our uh, Aurora 360 is empowering your leaders because they need to know how to do that
1: Hmm. and just actually just listening to what you've just said I actually think maybe actually there is a very simple way to do this so when I joined this organisation, uh, Page Executive, part of Page Group, we had um, we have yearly mandatory DNI training, which is fabulous. You also mm-hmm. get onboarding training. Why can't we, alongside our, you know, data protection or you know the IT mandatory training,
0: mm-hmm.
1: why can't companies do, um, you know, mental health awareness training? You recognise the difference from stress, exhaustion anxiety you know there's so many yeah. articles and podcasts yeah. out there i'm still listening to things is there a difference between anxiety is there a difference between stress i still get confused you know people do define them differently companies could just literally just have mandatory training like that um alongside the diversity and the it training so Love it's it. part and parcel of our normal day to day conversations but it's we, we don't seem to be anywhere near that
0: well hopefully hopefully you will and the final question for you, Catherine. Thank you so much for your time today. But um, it's just a really quick one. Go on. As a fellow wellbeing rebel, what is the... what? Well, you are. You know you are. <laughs> <laughs> what is the one change that you'd like to see implemented in workplace wellbeing? Oh,
1: the one thing. Um, I'd like to see leaders stand up. I really would like to see the visibility of leaders actually sharing their journey. And I think that's just gives such a powerful message that you're not a failure.
0: Mm. More vulnerability. That's the true strength, right? Absolutely. Mm. Thank you so much, Catherine. Um, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I know it was a whistle stop tour, but um, that just means you'll have to come back again. Well, I, I will keep my diary free for you.
1: I love it. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Catherine. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues. Follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show notes and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.